Hello, chaps and chapettes, and welcome to another edition of the Guitar Geeks podcast. Thank you once again for all your regular viewers and listeners for tuning in today. So this is now episode number, hold on, one, two. Well, this is the fourth one we've recorded, but for logistics sake, this is episode two. Yes, episode two. I had to think about that then. <laughs> so today it's 10 p.m. here in the UK, and I think I believe it's 9 a.m. down in Australia for the wonderful Andy Gillian. Hey, how you doing? I am very well, thank you, my friend. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Yeah, there was a bit of confusion with the time zones, obviously, but I've crawled out of bed and we're here, so... I think well, I'm still be, on UK time, that's why. <laughs> well, to be fair, if you wouldn't have sent me the message, I would have just completely forgotten about it and messaged you yeah. tomorrow and been like, you ready? Yeah, <laughs> well, we're here now, so that's the main thing, isn't it? Yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah. So for the part of the listeners that are not aware of you, have not heard of you before, who are you and what are you doing? Well... That's a very, very good question. I question that myself some days. Um, I, I guess I'm a solo artist now. I'm, I, I was the lead guitarist and the uh, songwriter for a, a Finnish melodic death metal band called Moore's Principium Est uh, for about 10 years from 2011 to basically just last year. Um, recently left the band doing my own solo stuff, got an album out called Never After, which is worth checking out. Um, I've also done a bunch of video game soundtracks and some stuff for tv and film here and there and yeah really just obsessed with music and try to try my best to make a living off it somehow doing whatever really as do we all we all try and find a way to bring in the pennies yeah that's it that's it mate um so usually i like to just kick off this sort of thing and we all talk about um the roots of the guitar journey and i did take a um a look on your um website and uh, from what i was reading you were heavily influenced by your dad and the piano yeah definitely definitely yeah i think so, that, that all started when i was about five five years old my dad was always playing the piano and there was my mum also played piano and guitar. My dad played guitar and piano, and they both sang as well. So it was a very musical kind of place to grow up in that house. Having sort of there was always constantly something being played yeah. or on the radio. Yeah, or a record was on, or like I'd always play my mum's records, and always I always put on these compilation vinyls just to just to find the Michael Jackson song on there. And, and stuff so yeah what was it that stood out for you know because you know as we get older all of our music sort of changes and your interests change but at the time what was it that was particularly speaking out to you at the time at the time michael jackson was like i was obsessed with michael jackson i had like the vhs tapes of his like absolutely bonkers you know music videos and all the shit he was doing um there was something about his music because it was just like this attitude that came across this like and and there was a lot of rock sort of aspects to like michael jackson's music and the, you know he got like van halen on board and he always had like a strong rock influence i think as well um so i was listening to that i was listening to queen i had like a you know even even like age five i had a cd player in my bedroom and i would listen to music when I went to sleep every night. So I had like those kind of classic rock compilation CDs and stuff. 
so any any kind of thing like that, you know, that's that's what I was listening to quite quite early on. Yeah, um, I think everybody at some point has a Van Halen influence. Yeah. Um, yes. And I think when he did the solo for Beat It, um, yes. f- for me, that is one of the all-time best guitar solos, yeah. p- bar none. I think I hit puberty when I heard that at five years old. I think I just suddenly, <laughs> something awoke in me. I was like, what is this? And it definitely, there's, there's, a, there's almost like, now I've never taken heroin, but I imagine it to be like, we're, we're trying to chase that heroin rush again we'll never get you know yeah. with music because when i think back to the feeling i had when i heard a guitar solo for the first time like i can remember certain times in my life where i've heard it's a guitar or music and i've gone what the hell is that like what <laughs> is, i've never heard that and it just and like the adrenaline and the feeling it gave me and like one i can remember was i was at some like weird i think it was like an air show or something with like harrier jets going over me and like the red arrows and all that back in the uk and they just started blaring out living on a prayer by Bon Jovi on the PA. And I'd never heard that. So I would have been like six or seven years old. I'd never heard that like, you know, power rock ballad type thing. And it just blared out and made that, that made such an impact on me. Funny you say Bon Jovi as well, because my mum was a a big music, you know, fan. And I Mm. was kind of always growing up. There was always like, you know, uh, Bon Jovi, Duran Duran, ACDC, I made and sort of thing. But I remember one of the first vivid times I remember a guitar was it's my, that start to it's my life by Bon Jovi. And I was like, and I was like, (laughs) I've never heard a guitar make that noise ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's That's it. Yeah. And especially like, um, I think the talk box now is near enough like yeah. a, dead, a dead pedal. There's no, no one uses it anymore. You can't bring that back out. You can't bring that back out. No, but the, the thing is with that, you've like you've kind of you've struck a, a chord with me there a bit because a question: Am I doing that for the new generation? Like as a composer, am I creating new sounds that that listeners have never heard? Am I giving that to them? And is there anything left to to really rediscover? Because there's a certain feeling like like I've just explained with the bond like with Bon Jovi or with Van Halen it's like wait what is that you know something happens in our brains where we we latch onto that new sound and we're like blown away by it. and I think that's what drives a new a genre or a new movement of music you know yeah. like if you think when when Jimi Hendrix first was wailing on the guitar no one that that blew everyone's mind because they hadn't heard it before well, see, no one, had, yeah. you know, that would have been kind of like seeing Satan in sound on <laughs> Earth at that point. No, every, everyone well, would have yeah. just been like, "What the hell is that?" I know, and then, and obviously, it would have polarized people. But it, it would be like hearing, it'd be like seeing a new color. You know, you just—it's yeah. impossible, but you you can't imagine it. But when it happens, you're like, "What is this?" And I want more of it. Yeah, I mean, like, I've I've never necessarily thought about that because, you know, I guess it's kind of a, we take for granted when uh, we listen and we hear new material. We don't necessarily kind of we just go, oh, okay, yeah, I like them. I'll add all their songs on Spotify yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I I think you're absolutely right. Like, we don't necessarily always think about now, like how people's music is actually influencing people directly now Mm. 
Um, and the younger generation, like I don't think about, because I think my my followers, I've looked up the sources, the statistics, and all the like data that you get with Spotify and YouTube and stuff. And my my kind of demographic seems to be, you know, twenty early twenties to to like mid thirties male, you know, for some reason. And <laughs> that's that's like, yeah, that's that's it. But I don't think about these young kids. And every now and then, I get a message from a from a parent saying that their kid is like. Like a 10 year old kid is super into like my album and I'm just like blown away by that because I think what how did I feel about music at that age you know and that's really special I think to be able to to influence a younger generation of people mm. yeah. I think with I guess like well so we'll, we'll get on to it but having your hand in like the video game aspect of things mm. as well um because that is now such a, a huge part in Let's be honest, everyone's life. There's probably not a kid out there now that doesn't yeah. play, you know, video games. And, uh, and you know, it might be like, I don't even remember the game, Brutal Legend. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. like, when Children of a Grave was on that, I was yeah. kind of like, you know, I would just play that, like, part of the game just over and song. over yeah. again just, just for the song. There's so many things like that. Yeah, there's, like, there's Sonic the Hedgehog levels that I would can't wait to get to to just hear the music again like it's, it's sometimes it's like a spiritual thing i think again it's exaggerated when you're a child though like that mm. stuff because I, I i really romanticize those those like moments in my childhood where i heard something and like it just take if you hear that music again it transports you straight back to that time in your life powerful yeah. thing music isn't it? it's such a powerful thing it is um you're absolutely right. Like whenever I mean the games that I used to play when I was younger, you know, things like Tomb Raider or mm. you know Destruction Derby, for example, they always had like kind of like heavier yeah. aspects to things. And um, I remember I would always get weird looks because I would be that person that would happily listen to the soundtrack of a game yeah. on like yeah. a commute. And people would say, oh, you know, what you've been listening to if you're going to meet friends. And it's like, oh, I just had the music from Halo on or Yeah. I'm go. the same. I can do that too. <laughs> I can do that with I can do that with like really retro stuff as well. So like eight bit stuff. I could just listen to an eight bit soundtrack and people would be like, How the hell are you listening to this noise? And it was, and was all programmed like, on for yeah. Betamax or whatever it was back <laughs> in the day. And I'm just like, no, I, I, there's some beauty in those bleeps and bloops and and you know those electronic sounds because that's that's pure nostalgia for me that is um so um with i'm assuming then uh when you said back in the uk that you kind of grew up then in england um so how did you um approach kind of us once you kind of got into the time and you started to play guitar and sort of cementing yourself as player and finding what you was doing how did you then kind of approach then starting to actually songwrite because the songwriting now is a huge part of your repertoire with what you do yeah absolutely um well i was i was writing music from probably i mean as early as i can remember but i i was very fortunate to have friends in school it was it was weird there was there was already a band in in the school that i joined so i moved from I used to live in Yorkshire and I moved down to Bristol and no one could understand I know me Bristol very well. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you spend some time in Bristol? 
I've done a lot of, lot of gigs down in Bristol. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Croft? Do you remember the uh, Croft? Oh, they've yeah. probably changed it now, I think. Uh, we used to mainly play at, um, oh, what was it bloody called now? Oh, the Thecla? Uh, no, not Thecla. It was, ah, oh, God. It'll come to Louisiana, me. Louisiana, Louisiana. I'm trying to remember all of them now. It's been a it while. It's by since Bristol been Temple Meach Train Station. Um, oh, I do know. What you, of course, I know what you mean. But now I can't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean, though. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's gonna do my head in. That is. I'm gonna have to very ever so quickly Google it because I please can't do because I'm gonna I'm gonna appear, yeah all my Bristol brethren are gonna they're gonna yeah. Um, disown me I think if I can't remember I was talking to um, Steve Platt last night um, and obviously he's just recently played Bloodstock with, um, yeah. with Devin Townsend and was saying to him that how much actual music genres are different in different regions mm. like he was saying up in Manchester where he is like it's very doom metal and mm. sort of you know stoner rock here in Birmingham it's very everybody wants to be like kill switch engage that hardcore sort of um metal and then yeah. I guess in Bristol it's very proggy I think at the moment I believe yeah no that makes sense um so mm. Did you find, like, you know, starting in Yorkshire and then said, like, moving down to Bristol, was it difficult to try and find what you was looking for at the right time? No, because I was eight years old. So to go back <laughs> to the story, uh, so at eight years old, I was I was already kind of dabbling with a bit of, like, experimentation and stuff of, of my own stuff. But when I moved into this school, there was already a band and there was there were three guys, I think. And I... At the time, I was more playing piano. I wasn't even playing really guitar by that point, although I always wanted to. For some reason, I just ended up on piano and keyboard. And I said, well, look, I can sing and I can play a bit of keyboard, so why don't I do that in the band? And they were like, cool, you're in. And we started this band called Turbulence, and we were doing like we were doing gigs at like shopping centres and stuff, like fairly big audiences and little <laughs> festivals. We were 10 years old. And we wrote our own songs and we did like Guns N' Roses covers. And eventually I was influenced by them to actually pick up the guitar myself and, and play a bit of guitar and then bass. And like every, I went around, we all kind of rotated instruments. It was kind of, it was insane actually, you know, at 10 years old to be doing a project like that. Um, and it was great. And that was like my introduction into live music. So I was playing gigs at 10 and writing my own songs and stuff with the band. That's that's quite impressive. Yeah, that, yeah it's uh, pretty cool. I'm playing like Sweet Child of Mine and stuff. And I could nail those high notes back then too. <laughs> the balls dropped, you know. Yeah, I'm going to say they're uh, doing better than Axel could now. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. The Fleece. Yeah. That's fleece, what it's called. Of course. I know, fleece. I knew. Yeah, yeah, the fleece. Yeah, I've just a... go- I've looked at it and I was like, ah, oh, yes, I remember now. Back, mm-hmm. back in dear. Um, oh man, the things I've the gigs I've seen there, man. Yeah, it's, not, it's a great yeah. venue, great venue. They've always looked after us yeah. well. Um, so, especially starting on piano, then must have given you yeah. that good sort of headway then to being able to pick out song elements and then when you're learning guitar especially learning piano first it kind of gives you that head that advantage of picking things up uh yeah. quite naturally yeah i think piano is a great place to start for anyone um and and obviously I, what came along with that was a bit of music theory 
which to be honest you know I don't know how much of it I really use these days I feel quite I felt like the whole thing was quite stifled and dull um the way I think I was taught piano because I, I was taught by my dad first and that was great because I was just like learning pieces and playing and not worrying about the, the boring side of things and then he was like well you're getting pretty good let's give you lessons let's get proper lessons from someone so I had lessons every week and I did, a, I did, I think I got to like grade five and then I just thought, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it, dad. I was 12 years old and I, I just like, I really don't want to do this anymore. It's really boring. And I picked up guitar and thankfully I've experienced the joy of music like all over again with guitar. It was totally euphoric. Did you, know, you have you know. the uh, the traditional like, uh, you know, encore starter pack? I did, I did. I had something similar. Yeah. Well, my dad had, my dad had some like five pound Japan. I can't remember. No, I looked it up the other day. It's like some really crappy Fender copy, but I ruined that as a kid because I was mucking around with it, giving it a sponge wash. And like, I, I took half of it apart and I just ruined the thing. A sponge wash. Yeah. Oh, like I, I, really? I washed it to try and, and before he got in from, work i thought I'd, I'd wash it and like all the electrics got screwed up and i was like dad i washed your guitar you know and and then i think what what did i do i bought a, i think i bought for 60 pounds i bought a fender copy and i think it was called a rockwood so similar to like an encore or whatever yeah encore vintage you know yeah and it was it was that classic sunburst like really obvious sunburst kind of yeah the uh was it tobacco sunburst or whatever yeah, something it was like officially that, yeah. called yeah so you, there's all there's always a kind of the three categories you always had the strat knockoff you had the les yeah. paul knockoff or you just went like yeah. pacifica or oh the pacifica room yeah that they they were they were the rich kids that were when you get the pacifica with the amp and the little tab book thing. Yeah. That's that's when you know you've made it. And it, you get the gig bag <laughs> and the, and you even get a cable and everything. And it's like, damn. And then I'm here with my 60 quid Rockwood. Um <laughs> but then but then as soon as you plug that into a pod, you're as you're as good, you know, good as gold. Insane mode. Yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> like insane spider two or whatever it was, yeah. It's yeah. mad to think of the kind of like, you know, we've got things like, you know, the neural DSP stuff now and we think yeah. it's, a you know, how, how good it is. And I mean, I know because I use it. But mm. then back then when you had that like line six spider, you was just like, this is the dog's bollocks. You couldn't, <laughs> yeah, I know. When you when you put that insane mode on, you were like, hang on a minute. That's the greatest tone ever made by man. <laughs> and like, you were just like, you didn't realize. I think it's because you know metal is like a drug in a way that you there's a lot of reference to drugs today i'm, I'm sorry about it. i don't really know where that's coming from kids stay like, away from drugs <laughs> stay away from me apparently bad influence but um no like you you start off and you play like a clean guitar or a jangly dirty crunchy kind of sound and that's about as good as you're gonna get and you don't really know any better and then you listen to maybe Guns N' Roses and you're like, oh, there's a bit more distortion there. It's a bit heavier. And, and it's like a gateway drug into more heavy stuff. Then you hit Metallica and then you hit like, and you're like, okay, now we're onto like some death metal stuff after that. And then it goes to really extreme metal. And it's the same with guitar tones, I feel. And when, when that insane button gets hit, you're just, you're like, holy, this is it. This is, <laughs> this is the pinnacle. And you think it's the great, greatest tone ever. And obviously it's, 
you know, complete garbage by today's standards. I've we like so... had the cringe of like, you know, I, I do the normal thing. If you look on your Facebook at your memories and things like yeah. that, and then you end up getting to like so many years ago and you see a video that you put up and mm. look back <laughs> at the time and I thought, ah, oh, I thought that was absolutely incredible. Yeah. Then, you looked yeah. at you looked at it now, and I'm just like, oh my god, why did I put that up? No, I've got plenty of that stuff. But don't worry about that. Yeah, I think I've got my... a YouTube video from 2007. I think if you go on my YouTube page, back you'll in find the old me. days, yeah, crazy when everybody thought 360p was the, um, the ultimate <laughs> HD. Yeah. yeah, and MySpace was king. Oh, my space. Oh, no, this is turning into like a whole yeah. nos- nostalgia trip. Yeah. Do you feel uh, old now? How I don't know how old you are. How I'm you? about, I'm not far off 30. I'm literally going to be 30 in March. You're making me feel old, man, because I'm, I'm going to, I'm 33 and I'm That's, starting you're couple, to get, you're really yeah, but I'm starting to get to the point where I, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm that weathered. Sort of, yeah, like that weathered veteran type <laughs> talking. When I talk to like the twenty-year-olds about it, I, I I still I don't feel like I'm any different to them. But then I talk to them and they're asking advice about like touring or something like that, and I realise shit, I'm I've become become that old. Well, old guy. I can t- kind of tell you a funny story with that because my my mum works in school with primary school kids. Yeah, and. Um, she accidentally left her phone on loud, you know, on loudspeaker one day, and her ringtone is a Bon Jovi song, um, "Runaway." <laughs> and then um, one of the kids is like, "Oh, I know what that is." And of course, these are like, you know, eight, nine-year-old yeah. kids. And my mum yeah. was like, "No, you won't." And, she, and the kid went, "That's old music. It's Bon Jovi." <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh my god, old music, yeah." <laughs> and I'm like, it is though, isn't it? I mean, think about it. God. It's um, just like when you hear people like reference the nineties as old, and I'm like, oh no, no, that's, that's a terrifying thing, yeah. And then, but the thing is, what we're going through with that is what what anyone has ever gone through in life, you know. Like our parents would have gone through that same thing. And um, the way the what the scariest thing for me was the other day, I realized I was thinking back to my childhood playing Sega Mega Drive and stuff, and that was early nineties, mm. you know, technology. And I'm very nostalgic looking back. And it was about, you know, we're talking like 30 years ago or whatever. But if you go 30 years back from that, so you're talking the 60s. <laughs> so so people who were in the 90s playing, you know, people people in the 90s and start being nostalgic about like Pong. That's <laughs> now, that, so now I'm, I've become that. Like I've become, you know, my games are like the Pong of, of yeah. my generation. That's hard, man. That's that. And now we're getting really like we're, we're like <laughs> we're like ten or fifth, uh, twenty minutes into the podcast. Or whatever. We're getting deep already. We're, we're touching the mortality stuff already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah f- for the uh, the people that are getting withered and dying. <laughs> yeah. Um. So when I was looking through your page, I mean, you've got a, a nice list of um, endorsements, let's be honest. And there's one of the endorsements on there that stands out from the rest of them. And I have many, many, <laughs> many questions. And you already, <laughs> you know what's coming. I, I know what's coming, yeah. Yorkshire tea. Uh, <laughs> so this is more of, yeah, look, I, when I, when I use the term endorsement loosely here, but I, I, 
they it was it was an endeavor to try and get noticed by Yorkshire tea drink a lot of tea drink a lot of Yorkshire tea and I was thinking wouldn't it be great to get an endorsement through so I, I kind of pestered them for a while I was doing sort of some stupid skits and videos I was, I was tagging them and the rest of it and eventually they got back to me and they were like look we don't really do this sort of thing we don't do endorsements not really for people like you anyway but they said it nicely of course but as you are flying the flag for, for the brand we're going to send you a bunch of stuff and keep flying that flag so they sent me like a tea towel a little toy yorkshire tea cart a whole load of yorkshire tea and a pen like i had i had like everything you can think of branded as yorkshire teas to turn up on my doorstep and i was just like this is this is as good as an endorsement for me i'm, I'm happy with that um, i guess kind of being a brit living down in australia it's kind of like that little piece of home it is yeah it is and obviously i grew up in, in yorkshire so like you know my whole my, my, my dad's side of the family's from yorkshire and it, it felt yeah it felt like i'd done the family proud with that and i think they were happy because they were saying like you know you're you're flying the flag down under because i moved to australia about five years ago so was there anything um, that influenced that move down to australia then back at the time um, I, I think it was probably mainly the weather um, I can't say I blame to be you. Honest with you. <laughs> What's it like over there right now? Um, it is four degrees, and yeah, it's going to be a frosty morning, no doubt. And you're in, you're, you're barely wearing anything. Oh, you're in like uh, a, yeah, I'm in shorts and a wife beater. <laughs> I don't know how you're doing it. Whereas I'm sweating, like I'm, I, you probably can't quite tell, but I've got the ceiling fan on, and I am absolutely sweating my balls off. It's like thirty six or something 36 degrees and i i can't take it man i'm melting my, my english body just melts into this seat every day and it's, it's horrible <laughs> i didn't realize how hot it got actually um so yeah the influence of the move i mean it's mainly really my girlfriend was the driving force behind that she was just like look we need a change like we really need a change and it felt right and it was just like let's let's go for it and she's from new zealand anyway so there's kind of special arrangements that they let us stay without, you know, without needing to have a one year visa, like we can stay a bit longer and all the rest of it. So it was like, let's just, let's just make this. And we, we turned up in Australia with no idea what we were doing. <laughs> we had a bit of money saved and we had two weeks in a hotel and we had, we used those two weeks to find accommodation, like rented accommodation. And every day we split up. And just went right you go that way i'll go that way and we just go to every single house viewing there is and then just at the end of the two weeks we you know managed to find a place and that was that but it was a pretty scary time actually do, do you find because i find usually if you're a, a british person you go abroad somewhere there's always the sort of people that just want to quiz you about everything <laughs> and anything and automatically ask so do you know the queen and yeah it's... i think it's i think there's like i think i stand out a little bit but then again i think there's so many english people over here that everyone's kind of used to it um it's not like going to nigeria or something of course <laughs> you would probably stand out a bit more but yeah um i've i've always wanted to go to to australia but i've always kind of like i have a terrible fear of things like insects and anything mm. that can kill me so i I think if I went to Australia, I don't even think I'd last a day. Yeah, I thought the same. 
<laughs> I, I was I, I was the same. I kind of still am. Like arachnophobic for sure. Um, but the, the weird thing is I've not really seen anything that terrifying other than, well, I did see a snake in the wild which would kill you. Well, all of them will kill you in Melbourne, <laughs> at least. So the way you the way you know if a snake is venomous in Melbourne or not is is quite easy. They are all venomous. They will all kill you. That's how you know. So just stay the hell away from them, basically. Um, it's, it's the stupid yeah. things like lifting the toilet seat up to check if there's anything underneath it. So I, I would just forget I to did, do that. I did that to begin with, and then I realised that there's just there's no point. There's just no point. And in, in Melbourne, there's only really like one spider in Melbourne that will do you harm. And it's not that bad. Like you'll, you might spend a night in hospital being a bit sick, but that's it. Whereas yeah, if you go to Sydney, bad. yeah, that's what's too bad. But Sydney is obviously Sydney has the funnel web, which will kill you in like half an hour or something. Well, you, you see, that, that's what I would worry about. I'd be like, that's what I, that's what I was worried about when I visited Sydney. But when I'm in Melbourne, I don't, I don't feel in danger ever really. I've, um, I well, I say I know Melbourne well. The other reason I kind of know of many stuff in Melbourne is Albert Park yeah. as a oh yeah as yeah. a Formula One fan. Like the only time I had yeah. really anything to do with Australia is when that Grand Prix on, and I yeah. hate it because it's always like four o'clock in the morning here or something yeah. stupid to watch. I know, it. I know. Yeah, I, the time zone thing is is, is horrendous. But um, I've driven around that. They let they let you drive around it. Yeah, because it's, um, I think it's just like, obviously, on the, the Formula One weekend, they turn it into the trap, but I think it's just yeah. a normal, everyday yeah. It is, but park. you can, yeah, but it, it still looks like, some of it still looks like an F1 track, so I, I one day I just drove around it for a bit, and that was kind of funny. <laughs> Did you time yourself? No, I didn't time myself. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll kind of talk about um, the, the the video game side of things, so it's obviously that you don't work for tv and, and bits and pieces like that but it's kind of been the video game side that's really kind of where you found your footing as a composer i would say yeah i guess you could say that yeah um mm. would you get like because it must be quite difficult to be told okay we want you to write a piece of music for a game but the game's mm. not out yet or anything so yeah. it's got to be quite hard to try and put yourself in the right place yeah. to do something for a game yeah yeah definitely sometimes i've had i've worked on games where they give you absolutely nothing but they also give you like free range so i'll give you a loose idea like oh it's you know this is like a, a, a picture of what it's going to look like but that's about it and we really like your stuff to so just do a whole basically like do a metal album and we'll you know, based on the, maybe they just give the title of the, of the, uh, of the sort of level. So it might be like a jungle level or whatever. So I think this, uh, one of my first games that I did was a game called Sword Surfer that didn't really materialize in the end, but they were just, they were so happy for me to do whatever I want. And it, that was a blessing. But then there's sometimes that you do get footage from the game and it's very much like it needs to be the way they want it which can be tricky because then there's lots of revisions. You have to go back and forth with the game developer to make sure it's perfect for their vision and stuff. But that's fine because that's the way it goes. They're the, they're the client and I have to kind of do it for their vision and that's that's part and parcel with it all. Um, but I love, I love scoring to picture. Like I love having a visual image and then writing music to that. That really excites me. I even try and do that with, with my own music that doesn't have any visual picture. 
I like to have like an image in my head when I compose music because that helps me direct it directs the music if you know what I'm saying yeah um so kind of when you're doing it so say like it's as you mentioned like a, a jungle theme for example yeah um this is more kind of getting into the mindset of things now so say if you're sure. in a, a a jungle setting for a level would you put your mind to trying to bring out sort of like the scales and the modes to influence that sort of sound or would you would you try and create more of like I guess of an atmosphere of a guitar sound that would suit that environment more um, I know yeah, it's, it's probably not the best way to explain to no it's, it's kind of all those things it's it's that part of it's like the sound design thing and actually getting the right sounds and obviously some of the game music I I compose is is not even guitar related a lot of it's orchestral or you know electronic so sometimes it's it's about getting the right sounds and there's all the cliches and the tropes of like you know when when you say jungle i think straight away i think of a xylophone you know like just a xylophone ticking along and then maybe some you know maracas. Some, some, yeah maracas and drum like you know hand sort of drums and, and tablas and things and you know things like that but if you're talking about metal it then you really all, all you've already got the sound and you just you can only focus on the, the scales and modes and, and the melodies and yeah you, you you know straight away when it's something doesn't work you know you, you know straight away when it just it wouldn't make sense to have a church organ playing some <laughs> crazy like de demonic like uh metal going on in a jungle but that would work for a castle scene you know so it's about it's about you understanding it and, and then the game developer really giving it the nod of approval. Um, but with, with my album, Never After, that was such a, like a visual project because they, they had a concept and the whole thing is, I, like, I, I feel like I'm a storyteller with music anyway without lyrics. And I've always kind of felt that way. I always like to give a reason for the music to go in a direction and to tell a side of the story, tell an emotion. So that's really important to me. And I, I kind of, I feel like I see music as well. So it's, um, it's just how I work naturally, I think. I think I remember hearing a conversation with Devin Townsend on something and I can't quite remember who it was. Really synesthesia, is it about synesthesia or something? Yeah. Like the colours and stuff, that's exactly the same with me. Yeah, um, yeah cause I think I might've been on the pedal show. You might've been talking about it. I can't quite remember. And yeah, it, like the seeing the the guitars and the sounds of colours. I mean, I've you know, I couldn't say I've ever been in that situation, but mm. I imagine, especially for you, if if you're able to very vividly image a guitar sound, it's it, it, it's got to be quite uh, beneficial in doing yeah. the kind of the line of work that you that you do and building guitar tones as well. Like, as I feel, I see the I see the grains of the the distortion. So, like, shape. If I'm making a guitar tone from scratch, I'm really just painting a picture in in my mind. Those two things are fused together for me. Like, audio and you know, seeing. It seems to be there seems to be some overlapping in my brain there, which is quite handy actually. <laughs> <laughs> will you kind of will you just boot up like an instance, say, if you know archetype nolly for example and mm. you have a go-to preset and you go from there or will you say you've got 
a 10 second lick and you'll try various presets to kind of see what works best as a footprint and then go from there um i usually have a good idea in mind of the sound i want already but with the neural stuff um, i think the presets are a great way to start um so just flicking through until you kind of get somewhere near what you had in mind and then tweak that to to what i have in mind i think i usually do that but sometimes i'll just go from scratch just default patch and just start building um and and i kind of feel like it's almost impossible to get a bad tone in 2022 you know like it's it's not like it was back in the day and we kind of touched on that yeah these these plugins are just so good now you know regardless Um, of kind of who you go with but i think neural have definitely got that yeah i mean way high yeah i love i love the neural stuff um especially for lead guitar like you don't you really don't need tube amps anymore at least for lead guitar i I don't i've never really liked the tube amp sound for for lead guitar quite like a digital sound um but but back in the day like we are so blessed like we have no idea how lucky we are to to live like kids today will not understand how lucky they are because way back when we we had like the only option was a crappy you know crate or whatever yeah or crate exactly or even even if we finally got like i had that moment when i was like you know as a teenager i finally got a mesa boogie triple rectifier and it was just too loud i didn't know how to dial in a good tone with that it was i I didn't have the right environment nothing made sense (coughs) to have that and it just didn't work it didn't work for me in any way and now i've got like you know an axe effects or i've got you know like a moor or i've got the neural stuff and that and suddenly i'm just like anything is possible from this and mm, yeah, yeah. i've I've, I've never been down i you know i was again i was always one of the people that wanted uh, a mesa and every yeah. time i saw people and use them i was just like that is a godlike sound yeah it's, it's always sounded like i don't know thor stepping on a plug <laughs> and <laughs> and Love it um but yeah i've always been digital and i think it's because especially i I guess as kind of as we've gotten older Mm. um it's become almost ease ease of use because you you, you know there'll be times where you know i've been on a night shift for example the partner's in bed and i'm there trying to stay up till six o'clock in the morning put your headphones in and it's like um yeah away you go um i I kind of i had interviewed or if you're watching no right i've got to figure out the way to word this i will be interviewing but i have interviewed stephen ward from neural dsp and I, i i had him on and he was talking about obviously how now it's become so easy just to kind of take your rig with you wherever you go So you know, say for example, if went to New Zealand to see your, you know, girlfriend's parents, whatever, you can just take a laptop and an interface, and you know, it's you've got kind of got everything with you, which I think for us is sublime. It's so different, yeah. I mean, you got people touring with a laptop. You know, they just they have their tones on a laptop. It's all done to the BPM of the songs. The MIDI changes, you know, changes the sound as they go. They don't even need to stomp on anything for a solo. That's automatic now. Uh, it's really crazy what you can do. 
and I love it. There's some the purists out there that hate that idea. There's you know still the whole tube amp versus. I I can't. I've been so sick of that debate. Honestly, if you if you prefer it, use it. But otherwise, just who cares as long as it sounds the way you wanted it to sound. I was uh, I was at. Um... I was seeing the darkness with one of our mm. resident pedal boards of doom hosts and he actually made a very valid point and he was saying the majority of the time the people that come to see say you know when you was playing the um the finish sort of metal yeah um 99% of the people don't actually care what you have that makes mm. up your sound in the, um and it's the same for like, you know, 99% of the people that were there watching the darkness didn't give a damn whatever the hell they were using, you know, at no. their feet or yeah. backstage or whatever. And it's, it's only the small percent of the people that are kind of peering over the top and going, uh, what you got? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. uh, although I am that 1%. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, uh, it's, it's funny how, it's funny how irate people get when they find out that, you know, Metallica are using uh axe effects or, or whatever and they're, they're upset that the what they believe or you see these bands that have all these cabs behind them and none of, and that they're just shells they're not even real cabs mm. they're just you know the front of the cab stuck together i saw i saw a picture on i think it was one of the guitar pages on facebook i think it was like a logic i think it was a logic like mixing and mastering one or something like that. i can't yeah. remember and it was picture like that where a guitarist took you know the yeah. fake back line yeah and their actual amp blew and so <laughs> what they had done was they'd wiped up a line six spider behind you are kidding me no seriously <laughs> and they'd actually wow. wiped up one of the little line six spider force and it's actually wiped up with an sm57 like properly on the best on axis. and i was and, and like no one would have been any the wiser. No, they wouldn't. I, I can imagine that. That's great. I'm, you know what? When the podcast is done, I'm going to have to try and find the image to show. Find that picture for me because yeah. when I seen it, I thought it was absolutely hysterical. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, what kind of what was them back? You know, when it was, I think you said it was about 2011 when you went into the the, the finished orchestral metal um how you know how did that come because she was with them for about a period of 10 years i believe yeah yeah it was a good um it's good innings (laughs) yeah good innings yeah um well i was kind of a fan of the band already they were very well respected but underground melodeth band um and my friends my friend introduced me to them and i was into them for for a couple of years and then or more than that a few years and then yeah they posted online that basically both guitar players and songwriters had left the band and they needed someone to to, you know come and fill that void and i just you know i was only like 22 i think or something at the time i I definitely didn't believe that i would get a response even and i think there were somewhere i think there was about 500 applicants and um I got chosen to join, flew out to Finland and met the band. Uh, and this is based on a on a, a couple of demos that I'd written, basically just 
just writing some demos and sending it over to show them what I can do. And then it was like, yeah, you, you seem to be the right person. We want you to join. We've paid for you to fly over here, um, get in the sauna, get to know each other for a weekend. And then I flew back, back to my day job, which was like a crappy IT job. And uh, I just couldn't believe it. I was going to join this like established metal band, like Finnish European metal band, you know, and I never, I didn't know what was going to happen, but it felt like something was going to change in my life for sure. They take um, their music uh, quite seriously over in um, Finland because let's be fair, the amount of fantastic musicians that come out of like the Scandinavian regions. Yeah. Is oh yeah. Biblical. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, how was that kind of going then up to that level and touring with us? Because I was talking to Phil Short about, yeah. I think it was Phil Short I was talking to about this. Yeah. And we were saying like, it's weird that you kind of go from playing, uh, from playing with Westlife for a six month yeah. tour. Yeah. And then you'd, you, you sat back home on your sofa in your underwear and it, it, it's yeah. a very harsh reality. Well, for, for anyone listening who cares, uh, Phil Short was the guy who beat me in the Guitar Idol final. In yes, and he, oh, he, but... he does bring that up on the podcast. I <laughs> he's, a, he's a champ, though. He's, he's such a good player. I mean, I've got absolutely no, no qualms with him taking the top prize for that because he is such a, an unbelievable guitarist. I've got nothing but respect for, for Phil. Also, just a super, super nice guy. And that's more important to me these days because there's so many assholes out there. Mm. I just prefer, you know, to to hang with people I, that are clearly nice and in it for the right reasons. And Phil's one of those people. But yeah, Phil, you'll see him like posting a picture of him on a private jet with, with Westlife going on this big pop arena tour. So for, you're describing that. Now, that was never the case with, with my band so don't even think for a second i was going home from from a private jet and then sitting on my sofa going god where do i go now actually i think i was most of the time i was coming home and being relieved that i was home as much as i loved touring you know i love i love seeing the fans i love that aspect i love performing I love meeting people after the show and 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 meeting new people and like seeing the effect my music has on on people physically in the in in person, but the, the the tours were never like glamorous. I mean, I think even even big band even big metal bands are are still roughing it to an extent. To be honest mm. with you, and I've come from doing gigs. I've done the worst kind of gigs as you have probably touring in the UK in a van and you know. You know, we've all done that stuff. And that's that, that when I was in my first band, uh, first sort of touring band, which was Shadow Law in the UK. And we we toured in a van and we slept wherever the hell we could. And I'll tell you what, I've slept in some dodgy places, mate. I've slept in some crap. Yeah. <laughs> like I've slept in, I've, I played a venue where they just said, you guys can just follow this guy and he'll show you where you can sleep. And then it, it was like up into some attic of some building that has been you know, desolated for years with just mattresses all over the floor and it's just grab what you can and survive. Yeah. Um, bad our, times. Our, our, our fan was like that because uh, I play in, well, I was playing full-time. I now Depp in a Rammstein tribute band here in the UK. <laughs> Sweet. And um, yeah, 
there's been times, you know, like what what we had done in that, we had like a mm. transit or something like that. We took like the the grating out of the middle and we put a sofa yeah. in the back, but it was never fastened to anything. So you'd like the sofa would just be kind of going like that through the van. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That's the, brilliant. The that's entire great. journey, but we we stayed at one venue. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to name the venue. Yeah. Um, but the, you know they were nice enough to put us up, and they really shouldn't have bothered. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there was I had a sleep like you can't even call it a sleeping bag. It was almost just like the two sofa cushions, and they just put like a, a throw over it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the drummer who was the oldest one of us had the actual only like proper physical bed that was remotely yeah. comfortable yeah in the top corner there was no roof and you could <laughs> see and you could see outside and this was it yeah. this Incredible. was in a, a very cold coastal place um where you could probably get hiv from eating fish and <laughs> chips there <laughs> um and then oh, uh, the other guitarist was like this mattress is really uncomfortable and so we lifted the mattress and oh. in like rows of like nine or ten rows was these like three four inch nails that were coming oh out of the God. bed into the mattress and i was just like what i tell you what mate this yeah okay your flashbacks now to some shocking tours I'm yeah getting. And I, you know, you asked me why I moved to Australia, <laughs> some of those places, but yeah, look, I've, I've roughed it and I'm glad I have, I wouldn't do it again, but I'm glad I did it because I think it's important. It builds the immune system. It does build. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps you from getting COVID even now. Um, but then you've got like things like, uh, you know, when I joined Moors and the band were, were already quite established and the guys were a bit older, so it wasn't like we had to do the the really roughing it out tours. But then, you know, I, it was crazy, the difference between different tours in, in the same band. So, like, the first gig I ever did, the first gig, the first time I stepped on stage with a band was in South Korea, in Seoul. And we we flew there. Yeah, I mean, not bad, right? So, like, we flew there, and we hadn't really even practiced together very much. I mean, we might have done one before the flight out from Finland. We got there and they looked after us like you wouldn't believe it was four days in Seoul. And they just said, here's, here's the bar. We're going to chill in here every day. We're going to have people helping you sightsee every day, guides, everything, all the beer in there is yours. And, and I mean like a fridge, like two fridges full of beer that would take you weeks to drink through. And they were like, have a little <laughs> bit. And we kind of did. And then, and, and it was just like, we'll take you out for dinner every night. You're in a really nice hotel every night. And then you play this one show for an hour and then you fuck off home. That's so I'm bad. thinking, yeah, so I'm there going, wow, I've made it. This is this is unbelievable. But you compare that to some of the other shows we ended up doing in Europe. And, you know, we, we ended up on a tour where we got stuck in Belarus and we were we played some very strange venue, which was basically like if you imagine. Um, what was it? What was it like? Like a leisure center. It was not a music venue. It was very good. <laughs> yeah, it was like a. I tell you what, it was like a leisure center, like a sports center, but we played in the garden of that, and th this is absolutely mental. So we got stuck at the border of Poland and Belarus, and the guy threatened to beat us with a 
with a with a baton because it was just crazy. We were there for five hours. It, the whole thing was nuts. We thought we were going to die. We got through. We got there late to a silent crowd of people waiting in this garden, and we we we, we quietly just in silence walked up on stage and started setting up our gear. I said, "Where's the amp?" The guy said, "No amp." Fender combo and pointed to this fender. And I said, I said, you've got to be kidding me, right? And they'd mic'd up this practice app. It was like a fender, right? Now I had no, I had the only thing I had with me was a tuner and a uh I think it was a tube screamer. Your classic <laughs> Ibanez tube screamer, right? So I cranked every tube, every every knob got cranked to 11 on the tube screamer and I plugged it into this amp and I just got a bit of grit out of it because it was like it was it was like one of them twin reverb out. i mean there was no distortion right so i just cranked everything up and i went right well, this is the best we've got guys let's do it and then this guy comes running up to the stage he was the same guy that he was the same guy who did everything he was like a sound guy he was like the end he did it a lot right and he comes running up and he goes guys when you finish song find it last song you'll tell me and i go boom with firework and we're just we're like what do you mean and he's just like <laughs> You tell me a last song, and then I hit button firework. Everyone happy. He runs behind a desk. We're like, what the <laughs> fuck is he talking about? We have no idea. And this stage is like made makeshift stage as well, right? And then we play. We're on the last song, and I remember shit. We're supposed to like nod to the sound guy, aren't we? Gave him a little nod, strum the last chord, and then a foot away from me fireworks just blast off into the sky like above like just an inch away from my fucking face and then <laughs> it's just the most bizarre gig i've ever been to and then at the end we said can we go to the hotel now the guy says uh yeah go with him go with him so we get in a van with a random guy drives us out to <laughs> drives us out down this dark alley in the middle of nowhere in belarus and then goes up to what looks like a crack den. Knocks on the door, but not just a knock, it's like a special knock. So it's like, right, he does that <laughs> knock. And then a woman answers the door and he said, and, and, and he's just like, she's has some sort of conversation. And then we go in and dude, it was like something from Hostel, like the film Hostel. It was like something from a horror movie. Jesus, and um, you can just compare the two. The, 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 there's two types of tour you can end up doing, and they're, they're very different. Yeah, it's what uh, I'm trying to say <laughs> apples and oranges, literally. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've all had as well those moments on stage that you can always remember for the wrong reasons and or mm. the right reasons. Mm. So tell me about one of the moments where you've been on stage and it's been one of the funniest moments you can recall oh, that instantly brings a smile to your face. Uh, oh man, I'm just trying to trying to think now. Because on I, stage during maybe you can tell me one of yours and then I, I can, can I can one. I can exactly tell you mine. So go on. Um, we were playing a gig in Bradford, of, of all places, yeah. um, and the the stage was kind of like above the audience's head, you know. So like they were yeah. probably looking up at you like that, and 
the the dressing area was these stairs at the back of the stage and it was literally the cellar where all the beer barrels were and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And it's like you, there was no lights, there was broken glass everywhere and we, we were getting changed there and, and whatnot and it wasn't great. So the steps kind of come up, left, up again and then you was on stage. And halfway through this, this song and I look across just happened to look across and I just seen the singer kind of like shoulders go in and I could see him laughing and I was like oh god what what's going on and he had cracked at a huge fart on stage but it was one of those ones where as soon as you smelt it it was just like yeah. oh yeah oh god <laughs> and I looked over at the drummer and the drummer's put like his shirt over his like <laughs> over his nose so he's kind uh... of got the shirt covering yeah. his face trying to drum away <laughs> you've seen the other guitarist who's tried to go as far off the stage as possible yeah. and i've kind of gone down the stairs on playing wirelessly so i could still play and you yeah. can still see the singer just laughing completely missed yeah. the cue for the oh, start of the God. vocals and when they come back on the stage the audience took about six foot Back. <laughs> Mark, what, did you, what was on the rider? What the hell did you eat? Oh, man, his gut was what was oh. ungodlike. But it and it was so like, funny. This thing is like, come forward, guys, and everyone's like, no way, man, no way. It, but That's it was it. it was the bit that broke me was just looking at the drummer with the shirt over his head, and that was what that was what broke me. Oh, it's incredible! Oh man, that's brilliant. I am. Um, I've been thinking while you've said that for, for a couple of things. There's one. There's the times where you've had power cuts during the set. Oh yeah, I've had it where we've gone too loud and the that's that a previous band of mine and it's gone too loud and the power's cut out where they've had one of those meters on the wall because the neighbors complain or whatever. And I've had times where it's actually just that someone is in the band has knocked over the extension cord and it's you know come out and everyone's been like what the hell's going on i think actually one time in italy we had there was a girl at the front who accidentally poured her water bottle in the in the like in the the power board thing and it oh uh, yeah yeah and power cut the entire gig for like 30 minutes <laughs> and um and, and everyone knew it was her um and then there's times where we've had the click track playing out of the PA throughout an entire song <laughs> and we thought it was the best track we were like this is the best live like take of this we've ever done guys and we finished the song play the last chord damn we're like thank you Tokyo or whatever and then silence and then you just say this <laughs> and you're just like and then we all just look at each other like has that seriously been coming out this entire song oh my god like and um but there's another one I can remember. This is this is this is really embarrassing for me. Um, I wish I could take this back. We were in Spain and we were playing, and I, I tried to learn a bit of Spanish before, and I tried to do something special for the fans. And I I learned the phrase, I can't remember it now, it's something like yo soy espanol. It just means like we are Spain. And it's this big like come together, we are Spain, you know. And I I thought I'm going to say this tonight and I'm going to get, I'm going to get like, not only am I going to get a round of applause, I'm going to get carried out of here tonight and I'm going to be <laughs> heralded as a hero. And I, I, I had this opportunity and what I didn't know was we were playing that night in a region of Spain that were desperate to break ties with Spain itself. So like, <laughs> it, it, you know, like how, <laughs> 
so you know how Barcelona, the kind of Barcelona sort of region, they're, they're trying to, they've been trying to separate in the same way as Scotland have tried and been getting independence from yeah. Great Britain. It was the same deal, dude. And they wanted out. They wanted out of Spain and they wanted independence for years and their protests. And it was like the height of those protests. I step up to the mic and shout, we are Spain. And all, all I get is just some guy with his middle finger on the front row at me. And none silence. And I'm like, tough crowd. Like, what, what's going on? After the gig, after, I thought I was going to get stabbed because after the gig, the promoter comes up to me and like, Andy, you, you really, you know, like, we'll explain to you afterwards, but you really shouldn't have said that here. And I was like, what the fuck have I done? That was, a, that was a bad time. We had, a, I can share a slight embarrassing moment as well. We were playing, um, it was a all out like tribute band um, festival. Um, and you know, when you have those incidents where everything that can go wrong with a gig oh, yeah. does go wrong, oh, it, it, yeah. it was one of those. Like, yeah. We were told that there was a house kit. And we were like, uh, okay, yeah, fine. So the drummer set up all these, you know, breakables yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I put my side of the, st- you know, my stuff at the side bed because I was just using, funny enough, a Pod X3 live at the time. Nice, nice. Yeah, high tech. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was literally, I'd all said, all I need is two XLRs. That's all I need. Done. And the other guitarist was the same. The drummer was just like, uh, just do whatever, you know. Um, and then we were following a Pantera tribute and then we got on stage all of a sudden there was no drum kit and he's like what the hell's going on (laughs) and and then the manager come to us and was just like oh no you're gonna have to use your own kit now I was like you really and we had like five minutes to set up a full drum (sighs) kit I hate so, that that rush. Oh, yeah, it, it gets better. <laughs> well, better <laughs> is better is not the choice word. Um, so while we, we were rushing to set it all up, got it up on stage, and the sound guy was like, "Okay, what have you got?" And he's like, "We got the the laptop, which had you know like the backing tracks, etc." Um, Trauma had click into his headphones, blah blah blah. We said XLRs straight out front. You know, it was relatively quite an easy setup, to be honest. Mm. And I remember I could just hear nothing. And then all of I heard was just like the, the hi-hat going, and I was like, oh, shit, we're, we're going to start. So I just yeah. played. No sound. Nothing. Yeah. There was no guitars coming out the PA or the mm-hmm. wedges. Went to say, what the fuck's going on? Down the microphone. The microphones. <laughs> Not even on. Nothing. And all you could just hear was an acoustic drum kit. And that oh, was it. And boy. then all of a sudden, like we were trying to play the song blind, yeah. literally yeah, oh, blind. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, halfway through the song, everything just suddenly come on. And then it, 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 okay. it, just, it, it just sounded like absolute dog shit. <laughs> and then after after the gig, we know we was like, "What the fuck were you playing at?" Blah 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 blah. Um. And a couple of our friends were playing on one of the main stages. So I went to go backstage to go and say hello to him after. And they're like, oh, no, you can't come here. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm an artist. I'm playing the shows. Yeah. He's like, no, you've got the wrong pass. And I was like, I've got an all-access pass. Oh, no, you can't come around here. It's like, right. are you fucking kidding me? My friends are right yeah. there. And just yeah. people, people being dicks. But yeah. I, I just remember the whole like, the crowd just looking at you like that. 
mm. when there's just no sound coming out. And we've, like, we've had plenty of those where it was always this this backing track situation. We use backing tracks for, for a lot of synths and stuff. And every time it seemed for like a run of a few gigs, this fucking thing would just break. And we'd be left, we'd be left, it'd be like, okay, guys, you got 30 seconds and you're on. And then the drummer would be just screaming something in Finnish that it's not working, he can't hear it. And then then you'd have like everyone gathered around this little stupid unit. In the end, we used a freaking iPod because we were just like, we'd give up, we're just gonna plug an iPod into the PA. <laughs> and even that was a nightmare sometimes. And, but if you uh, plug it directly into the um the PA, it's a no lag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man it's it, i just i'm i'm like i'm reeling with uh you know the, the feelings of like adrenaline of being on stage knowing you're about to go on and everything's gone wrong <laughs> it's awful so awful how australia you know australia being so big you know yeah. it, it's it's very difficult then i imagine especially as a solo artist but then to try and be at the part to organize and try and look at doing tours in australia because everything is so far apart yeah um i haven't yet had a chance to tour uh, as a soloist but my friends in other bands do it and yeah I, I i mean you can you pretty much drive i think the way you do it is no one really plays perth everyone <laughs> drives in a van from melbourne maybe you do adelaide then you go back to melbourne you drive up the, the east coast um, and then you, if you're lucky, you'll fly to New Zealand and do a gig there and come back. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping to do it. I'm hoping to get on a tour soon, but like nobody's touring right now anyway. So as you know, like the last two years have been just ridiculous. I've, it's, it's, a, I'm trying, it's the second or third year in a row now that I've had to book Ramstein, t- Ramstein hotels and stuff like that, mm. just purely because every year it's just... yeah. It's just giving yeah. up, but and I think especially you know as as a fan of music as well, it's not very often that bands even come down to sort of Australia anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which can yeah. also be quite you know not not demoralising, but you think it's not you don't always necessarily think oh well Metallica are playing worldwide tour, but what yeah. about what about us? sort of thing yeah well it's expensive to get anyone down here that's the thing and there's the visas that's the problem as well you know like even even just to play one gig you're going to need a visa they're expensive they take time so not many people are willing to take that risk and Mm. and get down here yeah have you noticed a difference in writing and as in other terms as well and your lifestyle since you've moved down to australia um yeah the lifestyle here is a little bit more chill a little bit more relaxed definitely and it's less gloomy and gray like i remember the uk there's there's a certain undercurrent of depression about the uk i think generally you know and some of that i still carry with me but like here i think everyone's just a bit a bit happier much friendlier um but in terms of the way i write music i mean nothing's ever going to change in that respect i've always done it the same way I just bury myself in in the work, um, close my door, and I'm just in my room. I guess the difference is the amount I'm sweating is more now. That's about <laughs> it. So it's a yeah. good job that you've got um, a nice, healthy supply of elixir strings. <laughs> yes, through. with all the sweat that's uh, yeah that's pouring down onto my strings. Does yeah. that gen like? There's a genuine question as well. Does that kind of affect then? Um, 
the way yeah, I'm trying to think the best way to word it because obviously you know guitar maintenance and things like that you know you always get the gong that builds up and things like that but do you find that you've kind of had to adjust going to say a different um, neck finish purely because you might sweat more and... well the, I my guitar I mean I really I have one guitar I mean I really do just have one guitar here uh, which is crazy and I can I can back him up in that because every video I've seen it's always the same yeah. guitar <laughs> it's that demoness yeah um and it's got a satin neck so it's beautiful for you know it doesn't you don't really get stuck on it you don't it doesn't grip you very much it's very smooth it's got like a matte finish so you can slide around without worrying too much about that um but i tell you what this weather ruins guitars like the the truss rod is always going out because of the heat and then and then people don't realize it's about melbourne but it gets very cold in winter so it can be you know it can be freezing in, in winter it can get down to zero or one degree so it's it's a real challenge uh funny enough we're just about to probably hit zero here so yeah, uh, worries yeah. me <laughs> <laughs> yeah well there you go but like going from you know we can go from zero in the winter and then in the height of summer it could be 44 degrees or something so like the change in temperature on the wood is pretty yeah you know extreme. pretty dressed yeah pretty drastic yeah. and, and your, your guitar will will need to be intonated and set up quite often here which is a pain you know, I don't like doing that. So <laughs> I'm just trying to remember. Elixir owned by Gore. I think it's the brand That's Gore. Right. Yes. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. I work in the NHS, and I have um, a friend that is actually a rep for Gore. Oh, yeah. And he he was constantly saying to me, oh, I can get you as many Elixir drinks as you want. <laughs> get on and, that. <laughs> and I, I probably should have done I always kept saying, no, no, I like my Daddario's. Now I kind of look back and I think, oh, I should have took him up on that. Yeah, you should have done. Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, um, I have a, a segment on the podcast, which is a new segment, um, and it's where the guests get to ask the next participants uh, yeah. a question. So I've had to kind of write all these down so I can at least follow the chain of where yeah, everything's okay. going. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, the episode that was before this um, was Phil Short. And when I told Phil that i said that uh i was talking to you next and of course he said oh andy i know andy i beat him in this <laughs> yeah bastard <laughs> um so phil's question to you is um i've tried to write it down exactly as he said it which was mm. when he was speaking through it i was like uh so yeah, he said yeah, yeah. Uh, Andy has an incredible capacity to create and produce. How do you keep getting inspiration to keep writing? And how do you push past a block and keep being creative? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's something I get asked a lot, actually. Um, so to answer that as best I can, I think writing in multiple different styles for multiple different projects really helps keep things fresh so i don't just write let's just say like metal you know or whatever specific genre of metal i don't just do that all the time because i would i'd get stifled and i think i'd hit the, the creative block like everyone else but because i dabble with a few different things at the same time like right now i'm working on three different albums of three different genres and i just rotate them so as soon as I hit that creative block, I'll just go, okay, that's a natural stopping point there. 
let's rotate it. What's next? Okay, I'm working on this video game. That's orchestral stuff. It's nothing, it's totally different. And then you get a different, you, you, you're re-energized every single time you rotate it and you go to the, to the next thing. And then at the end, you've got three things instead of one as well. So I feel like that's a really efficient way. Probably doesn't work for everyone, but for me, that's the best way to do it. That's pretty good, actually. I mean, I yeah. guess you can get, it's very easy to get bogged down if you've got so many projects. But I guess, like you say, that way, um, you can, you're, you're constantly finding sources yeah. of um, inspiration to carry on and, uh, and push forward. That's, yeah. Maybe I'll have to yeah. do that when I'm writing my EP because I've literally just finished track one. And now yeah. I'm like, okay, like, I've got the plan, but I can't. You know, when you're physically yeah. like, oh, it's just not coming out. So maybe I need to just change to something different. You do because um, you do. I mean, I, I get creative blocks. I hit the wall. But and and sometimes it'll be it's been a year. Sometimes it's been a year before I ever finish that song. But then I work on other things. You can't just expect to to find a way. Sometimes you have to go and explore or even just live, like just go and live your life and experience life. And come back with a fresh perspective that's right, that, else like i just have train spotting in my head now choose life <laughs> yeah that's it yeah, yeah um so you'll be glad to know that you are are you a user of get good drums or do you know of get good drums i, I do know of get good drums of course wonderful You're tell me that nolly's the next guy I wish. <laughs> I'm, I'm working up to that. Yeah, um, yeah. We have Joe Hamilton, who is one of the creators, creators, yeah. sort of say, at Get Good Drums. He oh, is going fantastic. to be our next guest on the show. Um, so this is your opportunity to mm. ask him a question. And it can't be what's Nolly's bank balance or something like that. <laughs> no. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, I know it's more than mine, so I don't need to ask that. Um, I think, honestly, I think to, to be helpful to everyone listening, I think the question I would ask would be, what, what, what would you do differently if you could do it all again? If you could do everything again, I'm talking really about the music business and what, what he's achieved in the music business. So kind it, of like if um, knowing what you'd know. Yeah, like no, if you yeah, if you went back to being sixteen years old or something like that, what can you what could you tell people listening that would help them that you've learned not to do or what or what really worked, and and how to really to to be successful in the in this music industry in the way that that he's been. And what what's the secrets? Is it all about who you know? Is it about contacts? What are the things that worked and what didn't work? You know, that's, I guess, it will be my question. I'll very uh, quickly just jot notes on that and I'll, yeah. I will word it up for in time for the interview with Joe. Um, mm. It's actually quite good that you say that because I, f I think the music industry, like you say, is changing. Um, now I think again like with having the neural products and the guitar tones at your fingertips and all these bits and pieces now i feel like excuse me um the there's becoming less of a need for the like produce uh, the producers to distribute 
material mm-hmm. now. And I think you're right. It, it definitely has become more of a sense of who you know, not what you know. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like that's a, that's actually a key thing that's that's been at least been around during my time of trying to establish myself in the music industry. I think the who you know thing is actually it's always been pretty, you know, important. But the, the industry's changed so much in the last thirty years, and it's still changing, and it's probably going to change more. I think with with the way people are talking about co-ownership of music like people are talking about you know like almost like the nft thing but it's like you'll get investors on your projects if i release a song i can have people i can have fans actually own a piece of the song or own a percentage of the song but they'll pay some money towards supporting that song's creation this is kind of a new idea Um, and then they'll the fans actually get royalties from the song if it does well. So they're like investing in it. That's the kind of a new radical idea that seems to be on the surface of happening. And I would definitely invest in anything that Sting does, because I think he makes the most out of royalties than anybody else. In the world. <laughs> right. Let's do it then. Let's get on that. <laughs> Every time you hear every breath he takes or something yeah. like that, you'd probably get an absolute raking. Yeah. Um, so taking your advice and what you would ask Joe, what would you do? back looking differently what you know now yeah you're asking me the same question what would i do differently but yeah because i think yeah it, it, it's quite interesting to hear what like i would do so much differently mm. but what you would yeah I, I i think not i think i spent too much time in my teen teenage years with the chip on my shoulder um i think i spent too much time feeling sorry for myself that i didn't have a record deal and thinking that that was the best thing you could have. And then I guess realizing that's not really, that's not at all the best thing that you can really aim for. Um, but, but feeling, I, I think avoid feeling as if the, the world owes you a fan base or that, the, that because your product is, is brilliant and it, and it will be, you know, your, your, your product may be the best album ever written and it will not mean a damn thing because no one knows it exists. And that's, that's what it took me so long to understand. You, can, you could create the best music in the world, but if nobody knows it exists, how can, how can they buy it? How can they hear it? So marketing is just as important in a way. And, and it, gets, it feels dirty to say, but it kind of is. You, know, you need to have the product, and once you've got that, then you need to sell yourself. You need to learn to sell yourself which doesn't come naturally to everyone and especially like introverted creatives a lot of people a lot of creatives are quite introverted people i don't think i'm introverted necessarily i think i'm quite blessed to to be like a people person as well but you really really have to learn how to sell yourself and learn how to network and it is so important it really is yeah and i think it's quite valid because there's a guitarist um, again i am i'm not going to mention any names for i mean i'm i'm only a pokey little podcast on out of birmingham anyway but <laughs> so not like my opinion makes a difference but i there's um especially a guitarist that's kind of become relatively big quite recently and from a lot of the people that i know that have you know bumped into this person at nam and and, and things yeah. like that yeah 
um, who I have heard multiple times is an absolute dickhead. Um, but right. you know, it has kind of gotten there with their with their break and with their music yeah. and things like there's that. Plenty but, of di- there's plenty of dickheads out there, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was only then once said dickhead realized that this certain person had good contacts and good friends mm-hmm. in the music business completely s- switched around was trying to be all like lovey-dovey nice and a bit of being a bit of a um i guess the word is a suck up to, to yeah. people yeah purely just based on who they know and i think um i think you're exactly right i think you know you could have the guitar ability of steve Vai, but if you yeah. haven't got the I wouldn't say it's a charisma, but if you haven't got the like, it's like personability, it, really, just yeah, being personable, being honest, being a nice person, yeah. And I think that's more. what um, a lot of people now take. You know, people like um, Ola England and Rabia, mm-hmm. and I oh know the stuff's gone on with Rob Chapman in the past, but you know that you know it's those sort of people now that. I think have the fan base because they are so invested in what you know it's the people that get you there so it's i think it's always just as good to give back like you say to the people that have put you absolutely yeah it's very easy to let fame go to the head so to speak yeah i think goes a long way to just be humble and nice and uh yeah, you can't let any of that shit go to your head because you know, anyone can be cocky and, and, and arrogant and anyone can be like, you know, there's loads of different goalposts. Like, first of all, you think you've made it when you've got an album out and then you think you've made it when you've got a record deal and, and then it always moves. And if I was a kid seeing how I am now, I'd probably think, God, you made it. You're so successful but I don't feel that way. I feel like I'm underachieving. I feel like I've got so much more potential to give. And if you've you've, you've got more potential to come, then fucking Mm. hell, then 2022 (laughs) is going to be a hell of a year. (laughs) I I tell you, I've got plenty of things I want to, I want to do that I haven't done yet. Um, But I like to feel, I like to feel that I'm not, you know, the best or the biggest. I know I'm not, I'm far from it. And that's, you know, God, I think arrogance is, is just, it's, there's no place for it. These days, I think you could get away with it back in the 80s, being a musician, being an arrogant prick. I think Probably, that was almost yeah. part of it. You know, the Axl Rose type thing. You know, like it's, it, being cocky like that was, that's, that's what it was about. Now it's about letting everyone into your life on YouTube and being yeah. a personality. People are more interested in you. So it, it helps that you just, you're a nice person, really. Yeah, people just want to see, like, around your house or what you yeah, have exactly. for breakfast yeah. or <laughs> exactly. whatever. It's more interesting. So you've mentioned that you're working on three albums. What's to come this year for you? So I've got um, I've got one done already. So there's, there's one done already, which is the next solo album, which is... Um, I'm not going to give the name because I've not said the name yet, but it's a video game style like virtuoso guitarist kind of solo record um it's kind of like metal it's chip tune it's video game themed so the whole thing is like a video game concept and based around that and i've got a load of great guests i'm not going to mention who but just it's going to be a super it's just a shred out massive shred album um 
which is great. Um, can't wait to release that, but I'm kind of working on a deal or some sort of distribution deal at the moment. So I can't release it yet. Uh, working on a sequel to my album, Never After. So hopefully by the end of the year, that will be done. I'll have a sequel to that, which would be fantastic. That's the kind of orchestral uh, instrumental metal. If you don't call it Never Ever After, then you're missed <laughs> out. Yeah, I've heard people say, oh, you should call it Ever After, Never Ever After, all these things. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure yet on that one. And then there's the third thing I was working on, which was loads of leftover ideas that I discovered that never really made it into the band, never really made it over the years into anything. Some ideas were, were plenty good enough to make onto an album, but just didn't fit at the time. And I found I had like about 25 demos that were really good. And I thought I need to hammer this into some sort of EP and now it's kind of become an album. So that's a more conventional Melodeth album and I'm working on it. I'm also getting some vocal coaching at the moment to try and see if I can mm. actually scream on those albums as well. Um, because, you know, I'm doing the solo thing now and I want to see if I can do that and I'll probably get guests as well to, to help me with that. Um, so those are the three things really that I'm, I'm doing at the moment. On top of that vocal wise, um, kind of which vocalist artist are you kind of using as your, your like a pinpoint as of what you'd like to try and aspire yeah, to be like? This is, this is, yeah, well, for this is, this is interesting. Um, because I'm trying to learn how to do the fry screams, which is like the really, really difficult type of scream. Not, not many people can, can get, like most people can get the kind of false chord thing, which is the guttural, um, kind of sound. But when it's the really high pitched, um, I'm not going to try and do it right now on the podcast, <laughs> but you know, like I'm thinking like Howard Jones style when he's doing the high screams and stuff like that would be sweet. You know, all out the kill switch engage kind of screams. I really like, um, but it'll be a, it'll be a mixture of things if I can get it down. Yeah, the um, some of the uh, Swedish death metal influences in there as well. Of, like, maybe Alexa some of Leo. that. Maybe yeah, maybe some of that. But but honestly, I think most of that is 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 not the sound. I think a lot of the the Scandinavian stuff is this false chord thing, which is more like yeah. the yeah kind of thing, and that's yeah. But I kind of want to go for a more like. I'm not going to try the other one because I'm, I'm still working on the other one. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we won't make it. Called that. fry screaming. Yeah, fry screaming is like seems to be the holy grail. So I'm trying to I'm trying to go for that. We'll I see. tried to sing like Devin Townsend once and absolutely butchered it. <laughs> but oh, he's no, so good though. Nobody can sing like Devin Townsend. That's the problem. Oh, Devin, is, uh, Devin is the man. Sure. Absolutely. I'm, I made him laugh at a gig. I was. I, I can die happy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we're kind of starting to wrap up the podcast because um, I know it's been like an hour and 20 minutes already, which is kind of the... Flying by, mate. Flying by. I know. Time flies by when you're having fun and there's still so much yeah. more I actually wanted to get onto. Um, so at the end of the podcast, we have the same three questions for every guest. We have a nice bit of continuity on the podcast. Yeah, love that. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice rolling theme. And yeah. I, somehow yeah. we always end up getting carried away with it. Um, <laughs> so firstly, <clears throat> excuse me, you're on a desert island, which you pretty much are anyway. <laughs> it is in the middle of the outback or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can take one guitar, one amp and one pedal with you to your desert island with no budget. What are you taking with you? Oh, man. 
well, I mean, the, it's obvious with the guitar. That's my Demon S custom because that's the only guitar I really use at the moment. Um, so that's that. You said one amp. Now we've kind of touched on that already. If it if it's got to be a tube amp, I'll tell you what it is. I've, I've never owned this amp, but I think the best tube amp I've ever played. Oh no, hang on. Okay, so it's between obviously I. My go-to real tube amp is a 5150. That's kind of like the crux of my rhythm tone anyway, generally what I aspire to. And I don't, you know, I do own a 5150 back in England. Um, but there's there's an amp that really intrigued me at NAM a couple of times that I've played it there. And that's the Rev, I think it's the Generator 120. Rev uh, yes, amp. yes. That thing sounds unbelievable. Yeah. I, mean, I really I looked at one years ago when I was looking to buy a proper tube amp and I I, I was one of the ones I was looking at cuz it, it it's a beast. Yeah, it just sounds like I think it comes across like from to me like a more digital sound but it is a real I mean I don't know how they did it. It sounds so beautiful, so saturated and so so aggressive. <clears throat> I want to get one. Is it the uh, the G20 with the inbuilt two notes? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cap sims. Oh I, I, I really want to try and get one of those. Yeah. Um, <coughs> so, so the last one you said was a pedal. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like once I've got, I think it's just the, the classic tube streamer TS9 probably. So I've noticed that on the podcast, people either go tube screamer or they say some form of like reverb oh, or delay. No, you're right. I should have said delay. Yeah, because I think you're gonna have to. Yeah, I think for lead stuff, you'd need that. The delay is more important there. Which delay pedal though? Hmm. I don't. I don't know. I don't know which delay pedal because whatever. Strymon. It would have to be. It has to be Strymon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's no budget, I'd happily go Stripe and I'd take a Volante yeah. with me personally. Yeah. Fair. Although fair. every time I do this interview, like do this interview and ask this question, I think, oh, yeah, I'll take this. But then it always changes every week. Or, yeah. Or whatever. I'll tell you what, mate, we could suckle that <laughs> off and we could just bring a, we could just bring an Axe FX or a laptop with neural on it. Yeah, to, temper, but, you know, like to you be fair, when I had Stephen Ward on here, it was just like, well, I'm taking the quad cortex as well. Oh, well, I'm not going to say, no, you can't take that because you have to <laughs> make the things. So. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> um, secondly, um, what are you listening to at the moment on your preferred streaming platform? Oh, my God. Honestly, <sighs> what am I listening to at the moment? Any, uh, like so many different things, but not a lot of metal, to be honest with you. Um, because I write that all day and get it gets me amped up, I kind of, I need something to chill me out at the end of the day. So I don't really listen to so much metal anymore. But mine has been like, I don't usually digress <clears> mine, but I feel like it today. Look, what's, uh, I've had uh, the Infinity album from Devin Townsend. We've had some lo-fi yeah. beats. Um, yeah, yeah. My friends band Axiom, who are incredible. Um, mm -hmm. Animals as leaders, Massive Wagons, and oh, Kylie Minogue, I'm ashamed to say. <laughs> oh, fair enough, mate. Anything, whatever floats your boat, mate. I think, I'll, I think I'll, I'll try and name drop someone who is kind of, is not huge, but is 
is getting bigger and I think they deserve, because I've listened to a lot of them. That's, this is a guy called Sergey Golovin. And, I'm uh, not familiar with the name, I must admit. I think, yeah, I think he's Russian. Sorry if you're not Russian, Sergey. But um, everyone should check out Sergey Golovin, G-O-L-O-V-I-N, I believe. And uh, he has some amazing music. He's kind of instrumental guitarist, quite proggy, a little bit electronic, amazing amazing songwriter like really really cool um and and sometimes that puts me in a good mood so i'll, I'll go for that awesome so uh lastly uh where can people find more about you well look it's not difficult these days but um <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm everywhere mate i'm uh yeah i guess if you if you do want to check out some of my music you can find it all on the streaming you know services Spotify, wherever yeah wherever you find your music or whatever they say um i'm also obviously on youtube got a youtube channel if you want to help subscribe to that and uh my website andygillian.com has everything it's got uh, all the merch and cds you can buy as well um i'm also on patreon so any support there is is welcome to so i'm everywhere i'm everywhere I will absolutely put all of the uh, the necessary links in the description doodah box so everybody can can find that. Andy, Thanks, it's been it's been late or early, but it's been, yeah. actually been a wonderful chat. Thanks for coming on Guitar Geeks this it's week. Been lovely. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Glad we finally got to do it. And uh, yeah, it, I mean, it yeah. literally has taken probably about six months to try and because of everything always <laughs> going on. Yeah, there's been a lot going on. Anyway, look, um, best of luck with this podcast, and I hope to... Thank you ever so much. Thanks for having me on. No, you're absolutely welcome. It's been lovely to chat. I hope that the rest of your day isn't spent too much in a sweltering hot mess. It will be. I can always (laughs) feel it dripping down my back. Well, so, Andy, thank you ever so much for being our guest this week. Thank you to all of the regular listeners and the new listeners here on the Guitar Geeks podcast. I've been your host, Josh. You can find me at the Corona Mortis on Instagram, and you can also find us at the Guitar Geeks podcast. Until next time, it's a goodbye from me, and it's a goodbye from our wonderful guest, Andy. Cheers, guys. Thank you, and see you again in the next episode.